0: Thank you, gentlemen. Good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, Philippians chapter 3, and we want to look at verses 10 through 14 tonight. Philippians chapter 3, and uh, I've titled the message, It's All About Knowing Jesus. It's All About Knowing Jesus. And so uh, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer here. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble. In Jesus' name, pray that you would bless our study uh, of the Word of God. And, uh, Lord, we thank you for Paul and for his emphasis in terms of really what his life was all about and the things that we can learn from him, really learn from you, uh, as you inspired him to even write this down. So, Lord, guide and direct our study. Pray for the other ongoing ministries, Awana Youth Group. Pray that all these would go smoothly tonight. Be with the leaders pray it's a word of God to go forth with power and that true you, uh, you uh, the God who's in the life-changing business, would be at work in a mighty way in our midst even this evening. And so we commit our, our time to you now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, we note uh, we are in uh, Philippians. Rejoice. Uh, joy is the theme. Rejoice in the Lord. And we have come down to chapter 3 here. And that's where we find ourselves presently. A uh, real emphasis in the book on unity that is based on humility. Uh, great examples uh, given in the chapter 2 in particular, especially the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate example of humility. But uh, unity is not extended to everyone, right? Are we extending unity to everyone? Who are we not extending unity to? False teachers, yeah, we are not welcoming them in and saying, hey, yeah, come in and do your wares here. No, no, no. Uh, we are not doing that. And in particular, what kind of false teachers was Paul addressing in Philippians? People we call Judaizers. Judaizers had a, a Jewish legalistic bent. We're saying, okay, it's fine to believe in Christ, but we want to bring all the Jewish baggage, the Jewish legalism with us. And Paul called them some derogatory names, right? I mean, he wasn't very loving or kind. I'm just, just sarcasm here. I, I've never accused Paul of being anything like that. But, uh, you know, he was pretty frank. And it called for frankness. He called them dogs, right? Unclean, spiritually unclean. Dogs were unclean animals. Uh, he called them evil workers. He called them the mutilation which is a word that was close to uh, the word circumcision, but it was not. It was a little different, uh, meaning they're just they're cutters. <laughs> they, they're, they, and they were emphasizing circumcision for salvation. So, so there's an emphasis being brought out here. He called them the, the mutilation. Well, in contrast, that's what he uh, called them in chapter 3, verse 2. But, but in contrast, he describes uh, the true circumcision. Uh, those that really have the, the true covenant mark of God on them, the true believers are ident- identified in, in verse 3 as those who uh, worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So we have a major contrast between the false teachers and the true believers. And then, uh, Paul, uh, you know, which category would we put Paul in? Would we put him in the Judaizer camp or would we put him in the, uh, in the true believer camp? Well, of course, ultimately he ends up there. But you know he was more like in the Judaizer camp to start with, right? And so he gives his testimony. He says, if anybody has reason to be confident in the flesh, in terms of your fleshy qualifications, it would have been me. I was in that category. I was in the Judaism category very strongly. And so he lists all his credentials and he says, you know what? It all counted for nothing. I counted all loss uh, for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all, th- all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Well, he really emphasizes this in a strong way. He ends up, uh, his testimony here in verse 9, as far as salvation, talks about being found in him, not having mine own righteousness. I love that line. I don't have any righteousness of my own. Uh, you say, okay, what are you, you going to present to God that makes you right? Well, I don't have anything to present. All my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, trying to keep the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. How wonderful it is that when we put our faith in Christ, God counts us righteous. Uh, We get Christ's righteousness imputed or put to our account. He gets all of our sin. He took all of our sin on the cross. And when we believe, when we have faith, uh, we... Have his righteousness. That's what Paul says in verse 9. Well, that's just the beginning of knowing Christ. Remember how he used that word knowledge there in verse 8? I count all these things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Uh, the idea of knowing Christ as as my Lord, as he says there. Well, that's just the beginning. Uh, Faith begins a whole journey of knowing Jesus Christ. And that's where he goes now in our study. Uh, Let me put up my next slide here. This is an overview of what we're looking at here in verses 9 through 11. Justification, forgiven, being declared right on the basis of what? Just faith. That's right. And then verse 10, sanctification, experientially living for God, being set apart uh, from this world. That's the emphasis in verse 10. Of course, this then leads to this. Justification leads to sanctification. And ultimately, everything culminates in glorification, which is what Paul is looking forward to, being perfected before God in his very presence. So there's a process uh, that he is uh, bringing out here in these verses. Okay, let's have somebody read verse uh, 10 and 11. Who wants to read that? 10 and 11. Yeah, okay, Albert, go for it. Okay, thank you. His thought continues. He's just emphasized having righteousness by faith in verse 9. But what does this do for you? Well, it results in you knowing Christ. But that's just the beginning. Uh, But here's the key thought, that I may know him, that I may know him. This is the key thought in verses 8 through 11. And uh, this is the all-important thing to Paul. And again, uh, this word, know, is the same basic uh, word that we have uh, translated as knowledge in verse, in verse 8 there. It refers to experiential knowledge, personal, uh, intimate knowledge, uh, the idea of a, a relational knowing. And so that's where Paul is at, and his desire is to know him more, uh, Philippians 3.9 speaks of justification by faith alone. The object of our faith must be Christ alone. In Christ uh, is where we want to be, and we are by faith. And the nature of our faith must be that is real in our hearts, uh, where we count everything else as rubbish and count Christ as more valuable than all else. When we put our faith in Christ as personal Lord and Savior, God declares us righteous. It is a judicial thing, like when a judge pronounces a sentence... In justification, God, the judge of the universe, declares us righteous. That is, he declares that we are now in a right relationship with him on the basis of faith alone through Christ alone. And uh, we have noted that uh, in verse 9. But again, it's just the beginning. Uh, I compare it to a marriage, it's like a marriage relationship. The day I married my wife, I entered into a special relationship with her. Uh, I made a covenant. Commitment, And I knew her that day in a special, intimate, and committed way, but I did not know her like I know her now. I continue to get to know her and I am continuing to get to know her even more. Uh, It's a growing dynamic that never stops. And all of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about here. That's so true. So it is with Christ. We enter into a relationship with him by faith and thereby we know him. We do know him. We've come to know him, but that is not the end. It's just the beginning of knowing him more and more intimately. This is the knowing that Paul has in view in verse 10. We call this sanctification, which is related to Christian living. The word sanctification means set apart. We now belong to Christ and are uh, growing in our relationship with him. And of course, sanctification, there is a positional aspect to sanctification uh, when we believe we are set apart as belonging to Christ. But then in our practice, we are being set apart. We are growing in our relationship to Jesus Christ. One more slide here. Uh, Paul has come to know Christ by faith, but now he wants to know him more and more deeply, more and more intimately. He wants to get closer and closer to Jesus Christ in this personal relationship. In a nutshell, this is the whole goal of Christian living, that I may know him. So that little phrase right there, at the beginning of verse 10, he says he's come to faith that I may know him. Well, Well, Paul, you do know him, right? Yes but he wants to know him more. (laughs) That I may know him. That's his whole goal. Yes, I know him, but I want to know him. I want to know him more intimately. And that's where he goes here. Uh, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. How powerful is the resurrection? I mean, it's almost indescribable. Uh, Resurrection power has the ability to take the dead and make them alive. And... uh, F.F. F. Bruce says this If the love of God is supremely demonstrated in the death of Christ, and it was, his power is supremely demonstrated in the resurrection of Christ. I, I like that emphasis because it puts the full gospel together. You know, we think of the death of Christ and we think of him being our Savior. I mean, he accomplished our salvation on the cross. But in his resurrection, he showed himself to be the son of God, uh, or God, as we see in Romans chapter 1. And the one demonstrated his love. The love of God is demonstrated in his death. But the power is supremely demonstrated in the resurrection. Good summary statement there. To know Christ intimately is to experience his resurrection power. How privileged are we to have the resurrection power of Christ living in and through us as his people today. We can, uh, as we uh, walk by faith, we can put the resurrection of Christ's power on display. Uh, you know this word power, uh, it's the same word that we find in Acts 1.8. Uh, you shall receive power. Um, this word is related to the word, our English word, dynamite, Right? Power. You shall receive dynamite. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So here the word power is in relationship to the Holy Spirit empowering us to be Christ's witnesses. But I want to emphasize here in the context that we are studying that this resurrection power, uh, Paul says, I want to know him. Well, uh, how does this work uh, in terms of knowing him and the power of his resurrection? Well, it's manifested most readily in the context of suffering, suffering. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Sometimes people stop right there in the middle of the verse. The power of his resurrection. You know, we're going to have healing here tonight. Well, okay, that's great. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I'm all for it. (laughs) I'm all for raising the dead, too. Let's do that while we're at it. Uh, but uh, here the emphasis is the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, A lot of people want the power, but they don't really want this last part, uh, you know, entering into his sufferings, the same kind of sufferings that Christ went through while he was here. He was a man of sorrows, you know, right? He was a man of sorrows, a a man of suffering. And uh, they go together. That's the point. Christ's resurrection power is manifested most readily, as I say, in the context of suffering. This is key. People want to talk about power, but not in the same breath with suffering. In fact, many people end their thinking in regard to power right in the middle of the verse. Many of those preaching a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel claim that real power will relieve you of all this suffering, right? If you really have great faith, you won't have any more suffering. They're teaching the exact opposite, in effect, of what Paul is really teaching us. They say if you're really experiencing the power of God, then you won't have to suffer anymore. That to them is is the power of God. And that is a whole different theology than what Paul taught. The grammatical structure of this verse puts the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings together. The power and the suffering go together. Paul was talking about spiritual power that is most often portrayed in the context of suffering for the Lord. Yes? Yeah. I, I think, Vince, when we are in the context of suffering, and, and I'm, I'm going to develop this here as I go along, but but I think the idea is when the life of Christ is put on display, for example, if you're being persecuted by your enemies and you actually love them back instead of smacking them, uh, that's Christ's life being lived out through you. That's resurrection life being lived out through you. It's, it's a supernatural reality that demonstrates itself in the context of suffering. What Christ did uh, on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know no I mean, this is Christ. A natural response. It's not a natural response. And so I think this is what we're seeing here as far as the resurrection power that is linked with suffering here in this context. But that's a great question. I was thinking in similar terms, as far as resurrection power, this is a new life, right? Mm hmm. Right, right, absolutely. If I was to boil it down, I probably would say the fruit of the Spirit. When the fruit of the Spirit is on display, I think the life of Christ is being lived out through a person. And I think that's especially relevant in the context of when we are suffering persecution uh, for the cause of Christ. It really comes to the fore in in a large way there. So yeah, Uh, okay. So um, let's see here. This this is right where we're going, Vince. (laughs) When is the love of God most clearly seen? When you love your enemies and when you love the unlovely. When is the patience of God most clearly seen? When people take advantage of you and abuse you and you tolerate it in the name of God, instead of taking matters into your own hands. When is the peace of God most clearly seen? When your world around you is crumbling and you handle it with grace. This speaks of the power of God. This is resurrection power that defies normal uh, explanation. So that's the concept I think we're talking about here. Um, And the idea of fellowship here is the idea of to to share in common. To share in common. Uh, You know, we enter into the sufferings of Christ that he experienced while he was here. And yet we do so coupled with that resurrection power. In uh, Philippians one twenty nine, Paul pointed out that it is a privilege to suffer for Christ. And in 3.10, we see Paul embracing this reality, realizing that a close walk with Jesus would result in suffering. And yet at the same time, in that context of suffering, the resurrection power of Christ is on display in the living out of a spirit-filled life that puts the fruit of the Spirit on display, which is <laughs> what we've already talked about here. Yeah. All right. Very good. Uh, And then he says, to finish out verse 10, being conformed to his death. Now, he's not talking about uh, the established reality that we are dead to sin and alive to God, uh, Romans 6. That's our position. I think he's talking more of of, uh, the practice here. And Paul is saying that he wants to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings even in relationship to being conformed to his death, uh, even being willing to die for Christ, to experience what Christ went through, even to the point of death if if necessary. So he's he is uh, wanting to know Christ on this level, enter into the sufferings and and in effect the death experienced by by Christ. Uh, Entering into the fellowship that deeply, uh, no matter what the sufferings involved, even if it involves being uh, it involves death, being conformed to His death, going through the same experience and effect that Christ went through. Yeah, the cross. I think that's what Paul is really uh, talking about here: the way of the cross. And, and that intimacy that, that is with Christ in the way of the cross, which is the way that he took while he was here upon the earth. Uh, but we do so with resurrection power. It's, it is an amazing reality how that uh, is intertwined together. All right, any other thoughts here? Okay, verse 11. He continues, if by any means I may, may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Well, was there any doubt? That's not what he's talking about. Uh, li- literally, if by any means, it is literally, if somehow, if somehow, by, by whatever means, is the idea, whatever he has to go through, uh, it's, it's worth it. Uh, Unger gives this explanation. Somehow, voiced no uncertainty as to his participation in the resurrection, but simply echoed his desire to submit to any means, imprisonment, suffering, death, which would hasten the day of complete conformity to Christ. In context, the spirit of what Paul is saying is this, I don't care what I have to go through, the ultimate goal of resurrection is worth it all. Uh, Paul longingly looks forward to the completion of, of what knowing Christ will entail. Whatever he has to go through to get there does not matter to him. The end goal of resurrection reality is a thing that matters. So, That's right. I think the ultimate goal in knowing Christ is what we are going to experience ultimately in the resurrection. And and that's what he's really holding out here. Yeah. Okay. By the way, this, uh, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, uh, is more literally the out-resurrection from among the corpses. And uh, it's an interesting phrase. Uh, Resurrection from is literally out-resurrection and the commentators here think this really is denoting the resurrection of the just in contrast to the general resurrection of all the lost. So he's kind of talking about the out-resurrection, the, the resurrection of the just, what, what the Bible calls first resurrection. Uh, you know, there's a first resurrection, there's a second resurrection. And by all means, you want to go first, right? And there are phases to first resurrection. Uh, Christ was the first fruits, Right? What's the next uh, phase up? The dead in Christ. Christ. And then... Well, yeah. (laughs) Which is more, you know, it's it's not resurrection because we're not dead, but we're going to be caught up. Uh, I would say the Old Testament saints at, at the second coming of Jesus Christ which is going to kind of round out first resurrection. Then you have the second resurrection, which is the resurrection of all the lost who will stand before the great white throne judgment uh, eventually. Special music? (laughs) Hope it was on resurrection. That's our topic here. (laughs) That's (laughs) that's okay. All right. Uh, So uh, let me bring up my next slide here. The out-resurrection for those in Christ will take place at the rapture. Those who died in Christ will come out of the graves with glorified bodies and will be just like Christ in holiness. They will know Christ face-to-face and experience the completion of what it means to know Christ. Uh, this is the event Paul is so longing for, as seen in a few verses later in the chapter, at the end of chapter 3 here. Uh, this again underscores Paul's eternal perspective. Why don't we jump down there to the end of chapter Three, when he talks about our citizenship is in heaven from which we, are eagerly, we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body so it will be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So this was the ultimate goal that, that Paul has in mind here as far as the, the resurrection. And then uh, note in summary here, What do believers gain by virtue of a faith relationship with Christ? Which is where he began this whole discussion back in terms of his own testimony in verses 8 and 9. Well, this springboards into knowing Christ. Yes, we have a a knowing of Christ in terms of justification. But then in terms of our experience, knowing Christ more intimately. um, And uh, God's righteousness uh, as we experience it in in our walk with the Lord. Christ's resurrection power... Uh, Christ's fellowship in suffering, and then ultimately resurrection and glorification. We really have two purpose statements here in uh, Philippians, uh, as far as Paul's life. He says in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ, and then here in chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know Him. Uh, these are kind of the purpose statements that, that drove his life. For to me to live is Christ, and then his desire to know Christ ever more intimately. This is just kind of an interesting quote. I don't know who wrote it, but it's interesting. There are a lot of men who creep into the world to eat and sleep and know no reason why they're born save only to consume the corn, devour the cattle, bread and fish, and leave behind an empty dish. And if their tombstone when they die were not to flatter or to lie, there's nothing better can be said than they've eaten up their bread, drunk uh, up their drink, and gone to bed. Uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people just kind of live in to eat, right? I mean, it's what they do. Say, what did you do with your life? Well, really nothing. I took up space for a while and I, I ate and I drank and now, now they're gone. Only one life to live to assume be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. It's really all about knowing Christ, living for, for Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, all right. Any other thoughts on verses 10 and 11? Okay, let's uh, have somebody... Uh, John, did you have your hand up? You want to read verse uh, verse 12? Let's do verse 12 here. Um, not that I have from a okay, very good. So, we know his ultimate goal is to know Christ really perfectly, which will be experienced in the resurrection. But he's saying here in verse 12, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Uh, There's always more to know in terms of knowing Christ, in terms of this life. But his goal here is to fully know Christ as he's already brought out, which will be experienced ultimately in the resurrection. This is his passion, uh, to know Christ, uh, of which the completion of this goal will be in the resurrection. In the meantime... He's pressing on, as he will go on to say in verses 13 and 14. We really kind of have a spiritual biography of Paul here in terms of uh, his past, his present, and his future. He says here, not that I have already attained. Now, there might have been some legalists who were saying, we're so spiritual, it's like we're already there. Paul's saying, no, that's not me. Not in terms of knowing Christ. I haven't arrived uh, there's, I have, I have further to go, and he's saying this as a mature Christian at this point. Been a Christian for about, we estimate, 30 years. He's saying, I, I haven't, al- I'm not there. Uh, not that I've already attained or am already perfected. Uh, perfected means complete, uh, to be finished or or accomplished. Uh, he's a working process, as he sees himself. Uh, He doesn't perfectly know Christ yet. I I love Romans 7, which I think is a statement of a mature believer. Uh, The things I don't want to do, I do. The things uh, I do want to do, I don't do. You know, that, that conflictedness that he's still experiencing. Paul didn't claim perfection after 30 years of being a Christian. And you and I can't either. We aren't perfect in our practice. But we are in process. One is born again as a babe in Christ. We learn to crawl spiritually, then to walk, and then to run. But we never complete the race until we get to glory. You start with milk and mature to meat. Spiritual maturity involves a process, and yet it is never completed in this life. You know, I don't care how far you've come, there's more to know of Christ. Uh, I think all of us can say this. Uh, Not that I've already tamed or or am already perfected. But he says, I press on. This is the goal. I am wanting to know Christ perfectly. He's already ran to the end of the equation with the resurrection. But he says, in the meantime, I'm pressing on. This is an intense phrase, which means to uh, run after, to pursue or follow after. It was used of a hunter who's uh, following, you know, in the hunt, trying to to, uh, get the game. Uh, It's used of a a foot race, pressing on, pursuing. The tenses here, by the way, are interesting. The tenses of the verbs in verse 12 are significant. When Paul says he is, is not yet perfect, he uses the passive voice and the perfect tense as if to say an outside agent, namely God has not yet perfected him once and for all. However, the verb press on is in the present tense indicating that this is something Paul is continually striving to do himself. God is responsible for the perfecting, and yet Paul is responsible for his pursuit of that goal. So um, note uh, that emphasis there. We see again that, that tension between human responsibility and, uh, and what God is doing in our lives. Okay, any other thoughts here? Yeah, Michael. Indeed. (laughs) Well said. Amen. Very good. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Notice uh, here, uh, as he continues on in verse uh, 12, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Paul shares Christ's goal, in effect, What Christ intends for him is what he desires. And uh, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. So (laughs) it's an interesting way to put this. He, He wants to take hold of the very purpose that Christ has taken hold of him. The complete fulfillment of the purpose for which Christ Jesus Christ took hold of him on the Damascus Road remains yet for Paul to fully grasp. In a nutshell, the purpose God had for Paul was to know Christ and to make him known. That accurately summarizes the essence of why Christ laid hold of Paul. Uh, Why did God save us? Why did Christ save me? Well, he has a purpose. Uh, On both counts, he had not yet reached the goal. He was still getting to know Christ better and he was still getting out the gospel to more and more people. He was still pressing on to know Christ and to make him known. So, you know, his whole desire was that he would fulfill Christ's purpose. That's his whole, whole goal. And, and you could really summarize it, I think, in saying that purpose is to know Christ and to make him known. Uh, we see, really, this even on the road to Damascus, as I've said. Okay, um, all right, any other thoughts here? Okay, let's have somebody read verses uh, 13 and 14. Who wants to read that? Yeah, Amy? Okay, thank you. Now, verses 13 and 14 are really an expansion of what he's already said in verse 12. And he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Again, uh, this word apprehended is uh, the same uh, as translated laid hold in verse, uh, verse 12 there. Same basic word. And so he has not yet laid hold of the full knowledge of Christ, of all that there is to know, uh, as he will know in the resurrection. He says, I do not count myself to have laid hold of it. But he says, but one thing I do, one thing I do. He's really kind of reduced the whole of sanctification down to one priority. One thing I do, uh, a singular purpose which is to know Christ. And in this singular purpose, uh, he's got a singular focus, boils down to one great emphasis. This one thing I do. Uh, That's that's really great if you can boil your whole life down to one great singular emphasis. This this one thing I do. Now, he's not going to really get to it until verse 14, But he's kind of describing the process of where he's going here. Uh, And he says, This is what this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting here is in the present tense. This is an ongoing present tense reality. Forgetting the past, forget the past. You say, Well, what's the one thing? Forget the past. Forget the past. You know, it can really drag you down in terms of your present relationship with Christ. Uh, There was a lot of things in Paul's past, both negative and positive, uh, that could perhaps slow him down. In Paul's life, this could apply to the former legalism he was involved in, religious pride and accomplishments, also his former sins of persecuting the church. It could also include all the ways the Lord had previously used him. Right? Could kind of get a little proud. Well, yeah, look what happened there and there and there. Boy, I, I'm something. So I think it could be both. He could have been tempted to coast, thinking, I've done a, a lot already. I'll just take it easy. So it can mean anything from great accomplishments to terrible failures. To focus on the past is a crippling thing for your present spiritual life. I think that's the, that's the point here. Um, that's a great thing, a great verse here. One thing I do forgetting those things which are behind. A lot of people just continually wrestle with their past. Uh, how about forgetting it? You know. Yeah. And that, and uh huh. It is. Well yeah. You to replace, if you're gonna forget it, you gotta replace it with something good. Well, that's where he's going. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Oh, they can waste in their trash. Good that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really. What are you today? <laughs> Yeah, amen. What, what, what's happening right, yeah. happening right now? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Uh, just a little qualifier here. Uh, Paul is not saying he obliterated his memory, you know. Let's all have, you know, dementia, whatever. You know, that's not it. Rather, he refused to allow it to be his controlling focus. Uh, his focus was the race still ahead of him. He had not yet crossed the finish line, and until he did, it was no time to look back, either in discouragement over past failures or in self-congratulations on accomplishments, or in the sense of, I'm going to take it easy. He's not looking back. You know, if, if uh, you're running in a race, um, the one thing you don't want to do is look back, Right? Uh, well, yeah. If you if you look back very long, it's going to be a major problem. But even glancing back, you can lose a race. If, I mean, if you're a sprinter, you, th- that little movement can do it. So you, you don't want to look back. Yeah, Kurt. Yeah. Yep. And, word, and I think he quickly says, I can't do this on my own. And he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not be vain, but I've labored even more than all of yet not I, the grace of God did. Amen. That's a great reference, Kurt. Imagine if he would have just, and I think he never did quite get over what he did to the church. And it's kind of reminiscent there. And yet you can't live there. I could see that could be so discouraging. It just kind of paralyzes you from from going forward uh, f- for Christ. Uh, and, and how often we have people with, you know, they're, they're living in the past as far as their guilt. They can't get out of that guilt, you know. And they just live there. And it kind of it slows you down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's great at that. What does the Bible call him? The accuser of the brethren, night and day before God. Well, yeah, I think he's never wanting to forget it. And you're not going on, buddy. Look at all this back here. You've got to work this through. And then you probably need to go see some counselor who's going to help you work it through. Never let go of it. Let's do this and let's dig it all out. Little by little by little by little. Forget it. Yeah. That's true. Sort it all out, and, and uh, you know, is this really the answer? Is this is what Paul is doing? He said, forgetting those things. Yeah, and, and it's the grace of God. It comes back to that, what Kurt was bringing out in that reference there. I, I love that reference. Yeah. All right, any other thoughts? Okay. Uh, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. But he doesn't stop there. Yeah, okay, forgetting those things. By the way, before I move on, is there any value in remembering the things of the past whatsoever? What yeah, I th- and I think you can learn from the past. There is a place where you can learn from the past. But he's talking about here, I think, as far as focused on the past, where it's, it's uh, hindering you uh, in, your, in your walk. So I think, yeah, there are some things you can learn. And like Michael is saying, hey, note what God did back here. <laughs> And that's kind of what Paul went as far as that reference there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amen. You look back and say, oh, man, this is yeah. I look right. My focus. Yeah. I think Paul's talking about an attitude of kind of living in the past here. Right? And that's not good. We see people live in the past. Sometimes older people, that's what they do. They kind of live in the past. I don't see Paul doing that. Notice everything's forward for him. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Wow. For him, it was all about what's ahead. It's not what's back there. Yeah. um, Yes. Uh, Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Is it the exact same word? Uh, Concept. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's the same Greek words. anybody know? I've got Greek help here. Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's... Uh, I do know this, the, the word press in verse 12 is the same word that he uses in verse 14. And so in the context here, it would seem that we're talking the same basic concept here. But uh, yeah, reaching forward uh, to those things which are ahead. And again, I think reaching forward here is in the context of, of knowing Christ more and more intimately. Uh, this, is, this is what he uh, has been laid hold of for, to know Christ, to make him known. And the point here is he lived his life forward, not backward. And, and I like that concept because no matter where you're at in life, uh, you know, uh, as a pastor, I deal with all kinds of situations. Uh, you know, I was uh, talking to uh, Nan on uh, Monday night. And she said, they've given me a very slim chance that I'm going to survive this. Um, well, is there a forward-looking perspective in that context? Of course! In Christ, uh, we've got the whole kingdom ahead of us. We've got the whole eternity ahead of us. Everything is always forward for us as believers. You don't say, well, this is the end. No. Uh, <laughs> I don't care how much of your life you've lived. Forget those things. Uh, the best is yet to be, we like to say, Right? Uh, So he's reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And what are those things? Well, he talks about it in verse 14. Uh, I press toward the goal. Pressing on. Again, this is the same word. I do know this is the same word (laughs) as in verse uh, 12. And uh, I press toward the goal. Uh, He has a goal. I'm pressing towards this goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, what is the prize? Well, what's that? Well, we've already got that, right? Uh, But in the end, yes, in in the secondary sense of of ultimately knowing Christ, that could be. You know, he doesn't really tell us exactly what the prize is, but... uh, this word prize here is found only in one other place, and that's in 1 Corinthians 9.24, where he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. What's the sense of the word prize here in 1 Corinthians 9.24? Reward. Reward. Yeah. It's not talking about eternal life. Eternal life is not a prize that you earn, right? It's a gift that's given to you. Uh, so the idea of a prize, I think, is the idea of, of a, the reward. The reward for uh, faithfully serving Jesus Christ and, and pressing on in that lane of knowing Christ. Paul, at the end of his life, said this, 1 Timothy chapter 4, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not to me only, but also to have loved uh, all who have loved his appearing. So he, he's emphasizing, you know, especially I finished the race. I want to pick up on that uh, phrase there. And therefore there is a crown. Uh, there, is a, there is a prize. There is a reward that is waiting him. And it's almost uh, as if the language here, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, the upward call is like when he is going to be ushered into the presence of the Lord and receive the prize. Uh, That seems to be the idea here. What I gather from this text is those who will be rewarded are those who are progressing spiritually, those who don't get distracted and lose focus in terms of knowing Christ and making Him known. Uh, Those who consistently are pressing on For Christ are those who can expect the prize at the upward call. And uh, that's what he's anticipating here, is is what he says here. Notice that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's talking about uh, the call that he has in in Christ Jesus and that that, uh, he will receive uh, when he will be ushered, in effect, into the presence of the Lord. Practically speaking, none of us are perfected yet. We are growing. We are in process. This growing process called sanctification involves human responsibility. It involves intense effort, as emphasized by Paul through his athletic illustrations. Salvation is a free gift on the basis of faith alone in Christ. Paul's emphasized that, verse 8, verse 9. However, once we are saved, God expects us to work at getting to know him. Paul uses the language of pressing on. It doesn't just happen. It happens as you discipline yourself and make your relationship with Jesus the number one priority of your life. And uh, that, that's really what Paul lived for. Like I say, two purpose statements. Uh, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, Philippians one twenty one, And then here in 3.10, that I may know him. Uh, and as we press on in that lane, uh, ultimately there is a prize for endeavoring to do such. Uh, this is a little story, true story. In the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City, there was a marathon race. It was almost dark as the last of the runners stumbled across the finish line with only a few thousand spectators still in the stands. But wait! Suddenly, the wail of the sirens signaled that there was still one lone runner edging his way to the finish line. All eyes turned at the gate to see a lone runner wearing the colors of Tanzania stagger into the stadium. John Stephen... Uh, Aquari was the last contestant to finish the twenty six mile contest earlier in the race he had taken a nasty fall as he entered, and as he entered the stadium, he was bloodied. He hobbled around the, the final lonely lap, and suddenly the spectators rose and applauded him as if he had won after the race, he was asked why he had refused to quit his response. "My country did not send me to Mexico City to finish, to start the race. They sent me to finish it uh, christ didn 't send us to start the race but to finish it keep Pressing on. Uh, you know, we often want to quit. I think this is the sin that so easily besets us, that Hebrews talks about. Uh, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and, and press on. Uh, I once knew a brother, and when I would meet him, I'd say, How are you doing? He'd always tell me, I'm pressing on. Not a bad thing to say. I'm pressing on. Uh, that's what God calls us to do, and that's what Paul's emphasis is. I press on at the end of verse two, I'm I'm not already attained, but I press on. I press toward the goal for the prize, the reward of the upward call uh, when I'm summoned before, not before some athletic uh, judge, but before the Lord uh, who will judge and evaluate. Uh, so he says, I'm pressing for the goal for the, up, uh, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here? Okay, if not, let's go ahead and share some uh, prayer requests.